It is Palm Sunday. We're celebrating Palm Sunday. We're singing our king. He is our king. And, it's, and we sang Hosanna. That was the idea that back 2,000 years ago, Jesus is coming off the Mount of Olives riding that donkey. And they are thinking they're going to have a king that would you know, help take over the government. They would change the government. And it was, he came down, okay, but so much more. He didn't come down from some little hill outside of the walls of Jerusalem. He came down from heaven. He left a throne. And he didn't come just so that they might be free from Rome. So much more. He came down that they might be free from the wrath of God's righteousness. He didn't just come down so that they would be free. Way more than that. He came down so that they would reign, so that we would reign with him. So much more. He didn't come down, live this life, die that wicked death on a cross, be raised three days later so that we would, I don't know, hope, wish, you know, cross our fingers that we could spend eternity with him, that we would just, that we, we would just like, oh, I hope it works out, that we would doubt so much more. He did what he did so that we would know that he could and will take us into eternity. Look at these two, these, this passage we're about to look at. Look how it's talking about the certainty of our destiny with him. And look at the reason why. Chapter 5, verses 8, 9, and 10. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, since we have been justified, declared Sadiq, since we've been justified by his death, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath, from God's wrath through him? For if we were God's enemies, right, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Look at all the how much mores, reconciled, now and forever, surely. You are to have a conviction of that certainty. And here's why. Because he says, the work he began in our lives, when he began it, we were his enemies. We were his enemies. And, and he had to die to save us. How much more? Now that we are his children and he's been resurrected, let me put it another way, just like envision this. Like we are drowning in a, a swamp, a sludge of our own sinfulness. That if, if Jesus were to enter the sinfulness, it would kill him. And he does. Why were his enemies? He jumps in and saves us. It costs him his life, he dies. Is he gonna bring us all the way to heaven with him? How much more now that we've been cleaned up? Now that we've been given his righteousness, now that he's been resurrected, how much more would he not bring us all the way home? We should know that with confidence because when we were his enemies and he died, he did it. 
how much more now that he's alive and we're his friends? That's Romans chapter 5. How much more? There's so much more to the gospel. This series that we're doing right now, it's called Sadiq. It is the best series ever. I'll just tell you that. And, and it's because it's the best outline you could ever imagine. It's the best topic you could ever learn. And the reason is, is because it's the gospel. It's the outline is the, is the book of Romans. And just to give you a quick review, point one was God is Sadiq. God is holy. The word means righteous. God is righteous. That means he's perfect. He's where you say perfectly perfect. Point two, man is not. There is none righteous, not even one. We can't even have a motive that's pure. Part three, point three, God has changed us. He has changed our essence so as to make us righteous. And today we're going to look at so much more how to love and appreciate and to understand the moreness to this. Now, the dilemma, that the, the divine dilemma that, that God is in to make this happen is that, as Pascal says, that it is, it is what is unworthy. It is unworthy of God to unite with the wretchedness of man. He can't. But it is not unworthy for God to raise man up and to make him righteous to make him worthy. That's what the gospel is. How did Yahweh make a man uh, righteous? Last week we saw in a word. The word was both. He was able to do it because he had to be both, just and the one who justified. Here are the two sentences, the most profound, the most important two sentences that have ever been penned. Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. God publicly displayed Christ as a sacrificial atonement or a ransom through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Now, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness, his sadiqness. Next sentence starts with the exact same phrase. God did this to demonstrate his sadiqness, his righteousness at the present time so as to be both just and the one who justifies, the one who declares righteous, the one who declares Sadiq, uh, those who have faith in Jesus Christ. If you understand those two sentences, if you believe those, it will change your life. It'll change the way you behave. It'll change who you befriend. It'll change the sense of destiny that you have for yourselves. As one scholar said, it's not salvation in general, but the salvation it, salvation of the cross that shows God to be righteous because it's the only way he could be both just and the one who justifies. It's called in theology the great exchange. And the exchange is the exchange of identity, of value, of who your essence. It's, it's, it's a, a gift graced to us. And and we give God our sinfulness, Jesus, and, and Jesus gives us his righteousness. We give him our shame, he gives us his honor. We give him our weakness, he gives us his strength. And that's why this word righteousness, this word sadiq for generations has made so much influence and impact on people's lives. That's why it's etched into Shirts, it is why it is 
inked into people's skin. It is why it is placed or carved into stone. Here's, here's one of our stones that has that Sadiq written on it from 1991 or so, and it's even spelled wrong. So, there. Okay. I, yeah, what, you know, so what can you do? This is how God views us. That's the point of Sadiq. That's how he views us. That's our identity. And if there's some tape playing in your head and it's your voice or anyone else's, it's a lie. Tell it to shut up and get out of your head because this is the gospel truth. And today, today we're going to look at the depth of that, the height and the depth of the great exchange. Today, we're going to look at the two ways the very nature of a human soul can change. The two ways to alter the essence of a human being, okay? That's, what's, that's what we're going into today. How did the great exchange happen? How could God have changed us and be both just and the justifier? Uh, here's, it says, it said in chapter 3, it said that he, he presented publicly Jesus as a, a ransom payment, a, a payment of atonement. For that to happen, for Jesus to qualify as a, a, a payment for us, he had to be a human being that was perfect, but then still a different kind of human being because he had to pay for all people's sins of all time, all the sins all the time. So he had to be a perfect man because if Jesus were not a perfect man, then he'd have to pay for his own sins, right? So if he were a perfect man, but just a, just a perfect man, then he could pay for one person's sin. Because it's a one-to-one ratio. So, he had, so the two problems is he'd have to be perfect, and then he'd have, to rep, he'd have to be a special kind of perfect so that he could pacify the divine holiness of all sins of all man all the time. So let's look at that. First, that he had to be human. What does that mean? What does it mean to be human? Let's go back to the first human, Adam. When God made Adam, he made Adam Sadiq. He made him righteous. He made him holy. He made him perfect. That way he could enjoy the presence of God. The whole purpose of life is to know God and enjoy him. And he did that in, in the Garden of Eden. Literally paradise on earth, heaven on earth, paradise. That's how it starts. That's how he makes Adam. And then there's the fall, the one transgression that enters the world, and Adam was made in this, when he was originally made, when he made Adam Sadiq, he made him also to be a mold or a dye or a template for all of mankind. Then he fell and bent that Sadiqness, broke it, but he was, still a, he was still a mold. He was still a dye. He was still a template. And it says, here's, watch what happens. It says, in, in, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in his likeness, Sadiq. Then Adam fell. And then it says, later Adam became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his own image, and he named him Seth. This is, this is what changed. Let's just, let me just do this for you. This is the nature of Adam when he was made. This, this represents, assuming this is a perfect circle. It is a Sadiq circle. It is without fault. And this was the die that he was supposed to be. But then when the fall happened, he was broken or bent. 
and all was lost. We're still in the image of God, right? But we have lost the sadiqness that we were meant to have. And in that curse, death through the one man, death entered into the world, and death through sin, all men die because all men sin. And so Adam becomes this die, and this is how, this is one of the ways the nature of man changes. This is when soul change took place at the original sin, and he was the die. And so that was Adam, and then this was Seth. This is all that's left. And you know what? Since we have so many Calvinists in our church, this is all that's left of man. That's all the righteousness. It's lost. And then generation after generation Every man, every person is cursed, and they've lost the sadiqness that they were meant to have. And it continues on and on and on, a defective mold leading to who we are today. One man, sin enters the world, and death through sin, and and death goes to all men because all men sin. Uh, Um... Look at it this way. At the moment of conception, an agent from the highest court comes and knocks on the door to your soul and says, hi, you know, you, you're human, and you inherit this. This is what you get from your ancestor, Adam, this bent. That's the nature of human, a long-lost relative. And that's family, isn't it, though? Anyway. Then the universe changed. The day the universe changed, Jesus leaves the throne and becomes one of us. He becomes human. He becomes the second Adam. And when we talk about the second Adam, we're talking about not this Adam, but this Adam. In the Adam, uh, the, the first one, the template, before he fell, the righteousness. When we talk about the, the nature of Jesus being human, this is what we're talking about. He's born of a virgin. Why? It's important that he's born of a virgin so he doesn't inherit. He doesn't get the, when at the moment of conception, he doesn't get anyone knocking on his door saying, you've inherited. I'm not from that family tree. That's, that's who who Jesus is in his humanity. And so look, look how this is summarized right here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The first Adam was sent from earth, was earthly, from earth. And the second Adam was from heaven, heavenly. And so the, the, the point is, is that Jesus was not less human than us. He was so much more human than us because this is who we were meant to be like not like the mold that was bent and ruined. Jesus is much more human. And when we talk about uh, Jesus' perfection, it's not because of his deity. He is God and man. This is not what makes him perfect. What makes him perfect is that he was like the first Adam. He's a perfect man. His divinity is for the second problem that we have in him being a ransom payment, that one man could die for all sins of all men of all time. This is how you satisfy the divine nature. He had to be both divine and human. So here we go. This is the so much more that I want to talk to you about today. Did you understand the so much more of salvation? And what Paul's going to do in Romans chapter 5 is he's going to go through and do what's called a contrastive parallelism. 
What that means is he's going to keep going back and forth between the first Adam and the second Adam. And what you get with the first Adam, but so much more with the second Adam. Back and forth, back and forth. And to be able to understand what he's doing, rapid fire, we have to understand a few words that he's going to repeat over and over again for power. Here are those words. Twelve times he'll use the word, the one. And the one is going to be referring to the one, the first Adam, or the one, the second Adam. The other word he'll be using is the transgression. The transgression is the original sin that Adam committed to give us original sin. Here's a phrase that's unusual because it's redundant, but, but it's purposeful. It will say, God's grace and the gift. Now, grace means gift. It's, it's the same word. So God's grace is talking about the motive of the gift. And in this case, it would mean that he is loving. God is loving because, he, because he's loving and generous. Loving generosity provides you with the gift. And the gift is righteousness, sadiqness, perfectly perfect. A word that's very much related to this word righteousness is the word justification. Justification means a legal declaration of righteousness, to be declared sadiq, to be declared righteousness. Okay, those are the words. We're going to see it over and over again. It's all for power. It's so that we can grasp this. This is God's, God's words to our soul so that we could understand the height and the depth of the gospel, so that we can see what we inherit in the great exchange so that we can grasp the power and the importance of a single word, sadiq. Here we go. Watch this. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died in the trespass of the one, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many. Next verse. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of the one man's sin. Judgment followed one sin and brought about condemnation, but the gift followed many transgressions and brought about justification. That's declared righteousness. There's two ways to alter the nature of a soul. Sin and the grace of God, the generous grace of God's gift of righteousness. It's the only way it works. Let me put it this way. At the moment of conception of your faith, some agent from the highest court comes and knocks on your door and says, hello. I want to inform you that we've just read a will and you've inherited, wait for it, this the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. It came because of the graceful generosity. That's why you have this gift. And you say, what? That's not fair. It's not. You say, but I didn't earn that. You're right. Someone else had to earn it. This is the fact that you'll be clothed in, the, in Christ. Wait, there's more. The passage goes on. 
Paul wants us to know about the power and the efficacy in contrast to these two atoms. And so I want you to, to look here. Watch. Look what it says in verse 17. So if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, how much more who received the abundance of grace and the gift of sadiqness will reign through the one Jesus Christ? That is loaded. It's layered with contrast. He's talking about this. He says, look how he says, with this one transgression, death reigned over us. Picture. Death rules us. It controls us. It always wins. But in the abundance, the abundant grace that was given to us as a gift of righteousness, it says we reign, in contrast to death, life in Jesus Christ. You might have missed it. I'm going to say it again. Under, we, we are under the reign of death. If Jesus came and set us free and we got to be free citizens with a new king, I think we'd be pretty happy. But that's not what it says. It says so much more. It says we are not free citizens. It says we get to reign with him in his life. He doesn't make us new slaves to a new kingdom. He makes us heirs. He makes us royalty. That's what it's saying. That's the so much more. This is the Bible. This is what it says is true. It, this is how soul change takes place. He tells us. He declares, this is who you are, and then I fix that. The first Adam, you, death rules you. The second Adam because of his generous, abundant, gracious gift of grace, of righteousness, you rule with him in life. That's what it means. So much more. He's, let me say it a different way. The gospel is not us regaining our innocence alone. It's not as though our debt has been paid. So much more. Our account, our justification, our, 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 our lack of righteousness is not zeroed out. It's zeroed out on Good Friday, sure, with his death. But upon his resurrection, we receive so much more. There's our verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, the theme of the series. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the sadiqness of God in him. This is more than Adam ever had when he was righteous, that we would get to rule, that we would have life, that we have eternal life with him. First application. When we talk about being conformed to the image of, of, of Christ, it, actually the Bible says you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's not uncommon for people to think, wow, I don't see that ever happening. I could never be like this. You can't. That's the divine nature of Christ. There is a group of people that believe this. They're called heretics. When we talk about being conformed to the image of Christ, we're also not talking about being like, I don't know, a 32-year-old brown-haired, brown-eyed Jewish man that's right-handed and likes bagels. That's not Jesus. I mean, that's Jesus, but that's not the Jesus you are predestined to be conformed to. He wants to conform you to the image of Christ so that you could become you. 
this is unique to the Bible. God is very happy with the way you were meant to be, and he wants you to be that way. As a matter of fact, he's predestined you to become that way with your personality and your temperament and your taste without the guile. So, second application, some questions that come up here like, I, I, like how, do you, how do you make this happen experientially in your life? Here's what you do. You keep reading this. You memorize this. You meditate on these truthful words. And then you take every thought captive. While, you're, while you have a truth filter going on now, Romans 1 through 5 at this point, you take every thought captive. And when you hear voices in your head, you find out, where is that coming from? Is that, is that your own voice? Is that a, a parent, a coach, a, 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 I don't know, a teacher, a boss, some stupid beer commercial? I hear this in people's heads. Beer commercials, the country club values some kind of crazy cultural expression, and here's what you do. You just say, shut up and get out of my house. That's a lie. This is truth. This is how I think I should be seen, but this is how God sees me. This is a transformation of identity. This is, this is a value system of what our soul is worth. This is how we keep score and whether or not we're successful or not. And I'll tell you, if, if your identity or your value is, any, is in any way can be lost, you should worry. You've made a, you've, you've made a foolish decision, and, and all it takes sometimes, depending upon where your value is, all it takes is a change in the stock market. A small virus could come through and take you down to your knees. You're a ligament away from not being who you are or a disease, or just a change in hormones. I mean, it's, we're so fragile. All these things can be lost. And God says, I have a promise for you, and it's a true, it's a true statement. This is how I view you. And you should see you from my point of view. When we look up at God, we see this, right? We see his divinity, his divine nature. When he looks down at us, he sees this. This is who we are. The second Adam, he declared it to be true. I've, I've taught this, I, and I've, I've had conversations with people, and when they hear this and when they read this, here's what they'll say. They say, I can't believe this. I, just, I can't imagine this on, on me. And I can see where it would work for other people, but, but you don't know you don't know what I've done. You don't know the shame I have in my life. And you don't know the shame that I've brought to other people that I love. And, and I, those, are, those can be encouraging phrases. But what I have found to be true in a lot of people's lives is those are actually strongholds. Those, those are values that the devil ha, has been allowed to play anytime, all the time. Here's another thing. When people say that, and if you say that, just listen for just a second. It's not humility. It's arrogance. It sounds like you might be bumping into there is none righteous. But, but if you know the whole gospel story, what you're saying is you have no idea what I have done. And the gospel comes back and says, 
do you have any idea what God has done? His gracious gift of righteousness? <laughs> that God would become man and then die that death and prove everything by his resurrection? And, 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 you, and, and you say that's not enough? What in hell will it take? There is nothing of value in heaven that hasn't already been spent to make us righteous. And so when you say, oh, I couldn't be that, you're saying your standards are higher than God Almighty, the holy of holies. You just hear it now? Yeah. Listen, I understand this. I get this. I live, I live in so many years of shame. When I heard the gospel, this is what I saw all the time, is what I was not. And I understood it was a stronghold, and it was a tape that wouldn't stop playing. And so I, I got another set of tapes. I literally got another set of tapes. I went and bought the Bible on tape, and I, I sought to memorize Romans chapter 1 through 8. Everywhere I went, on the way to school, I was in college, when I walked to school, when I was driving around, every night when I went to bed, Romans 1 through 8. It changed the way I was thinking, and it got the demons out of my head and got the Bible and the gospel into my head. It made things true in my life, and shame had no place anymore. At first, Adam could get out of my life. I hope Paul has been clear. Maybe he hasn't. There's so much more. There's two more verses that summarize what he's talking about. The greater essence of the actions of the second Adam. That the, the obedience of the second Adam is greater than the disobedience of the first Adam. Look at 5.18. He says, so then, through the, one, through the transgression of the one that resulted in condemnation for all men, even so through the act, one act of righteousness, sadikness, there resulted justification Right? Declared righteousness for all men. Next sentence. For through the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, many would be made righteous. Sadiq, perfectly perfect. Here's, here's the point. Here's Romans chapter 5. There's so much more. You're already changed. You just need to catch up. That's all. You just need to catch up. You need to believe it. And it, the, the belief in this will change how you behave and who you befriend and what you do with your life. And you do whatever it takes. You stitch it into your clothing. You carve it into rocks. If you spill it, ink, ink on you, you make it a tattoo. I'm not recommending tattoos. You didn't hear that. Okay. Don't care. I just there's parents in the room. Don't care. But this year, one of our graduates tattooed this onto her, a simple little circle, a perfect little circle to remind her of what's already happened so that she would see herself from God's point of view. She just wants to believe what's already true. The last application in Romans chapter 5, it's this. You need to receive it. You need to believe it. You need to buy it. In the living room of your soul, right over the fireplace, 
there's a family crest, a family tree. Who's on that crest? Who is the root of that tree? I'm going to preach what Paul taught. You need to choose your Adam. Choose your Adam. Two ways to change your soul, transgression and the gracious gift of righteousness. So, who's your family? Adam from earth or Jesus from heaven? Adam who was tested literally in paradise and failed. Or the second Adam, Jesus, who was tested in the desert, in the wilderness, and on the cross, and he passed, and he was righteous. This Adam, you get cursed. You'll die. This Adam, so much more. You get righteousness, sadiq, everlasting life. This Adam, your identity, brings about condemnation, shame. This guy's a thief. He was run out of paradise. This man, he was holy. It, he brings life. He turned to a thief and said, I'll see you in paradise. Death reigns with all men because all sin. This leaves you condemned. Condemned so much more. You reign with Christ in life. Who are you going to follow? The one who transgressed, the sinner, or the one who is righteous and holy and was sent here by the grace so that we might receive a gift and the gift would be his righteousness. That's the gospel. It's so much more. I told you, it's so much more. Maybe some of you, yeah, sure, let's do that. Would, if, we could just under, if we could just believe this, right? Do whatever it takes to remind you of what's already happened. Some of you might want to come down and receive counseling or prayer afterwards. We're going to be able to provide that for you. But right now, let's just thank God. If you've, on, if you've received that second Adam, let's enjoy that second Adam. Let's understand how much more we have in the power of the gospel. In that one word, Sadiq, that's what we inherited, righteousness. Bow your head and close your eyes if you would with me. I want to read you just a paragraph from Paradise Lost. Could you imagine this with me? This is right after the transgression. It's announced that unless someone will die for man, someone whose nature is such that he will be able to take full recompense for man's offense, who will then take the burden upon himself? And all present were silent. And then the compassionate son offers to give his life in order to save men. Man will find grace, says the son, because I shall take man's nature, permitting death to wreak its full vengeance upon me. 
and then I shall rise again, despoiling death and death of its victims, and I shall kill death. And the rest of the heavenly host gazed in admiration upon the Son, and the Father accepts the sacrifice and the commands, and then commands his angels to adore the Son. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God all righteous, that he would love us while we were the enemies of his holiness, and he would save us and deliver us from all unrighteousness. Where then is boasting? Not in trying to get things fixed. We boast in our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we receive this reconciliation. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your choice to follow the will of the Father, your obedience into death, even death on a cross. Father, we thank you that you would send your only begotten Son. Spirit, help us grasp the so much more of what we have that we might honor you in our lives, what we do, what we say, what we think, that our life would be a logical expression of a living sacrifice for what you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.